the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. I am so thrilled to have Craig Groeschel back on the podcast. He's been one of the greatest influences on my life and leadership, and also an incredible friend. And uh, so we're going to do the backstory of discipline today and how it's something we all need to learn. Even Craig had to struggle with discipline as a younger leader. And we go into the backstory on that. And then we totally nerd out on sleep. And we talk about the three habits every leader should focus on. So you've come to the right place. Really glad to have you here. I want to thank our podcast partners today, too. I am doing a Ready for Easter workshop with the Barna Group, and it's free, 60 minutes. Would love for you to register. Go to readyforeaster.com to register for free. And then did you see the Super Bowl ads? I mean, really super cool to see he gets us in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl. I mean, really cool to see the ads in the Super Bowl in the biggest Sunday. So now it's time for future conversations. That's why you should check out hegetsuspartners.com slash Super Bowl to learn more about He Gets Us and to get free resources to help you continue the conversation. Well, Craig Rochelle is the founding and senior pastor of Life.Church. It's an innovative multi-site church. Actually, he wouldn't tell you this, but the largest attended church in the history of America. He is also the New York Times bestselling author of 15 books, including Winning the War in Your Mind and Lead Like It Matters. We talk about his latest book too, The Power to Change. And uh, well, I'll tell you the backstory on that in just a moment. He also hosts the top ranking Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, speaks regularly for the Global Leadership network and reaches hundreds of thousands of leaders around the world annually. If you're not following Craig, you're missing out. And uh, well, we want to talk about discipline. And I remember when Craig told me a few years ago, he's working on a book on discipline. I'm like, dude, I don't want to read it. Okay. It's just too intimidating to me. I mean, Craig is so fit and so disciplined, but I'll tell you when I got the book, he gave me an advanced copy uh, to help endorse it. And I read it and I thought, oh, you're actually like just helping people here. And Craig is such, if you've ever been intimidated to like check out his resources or particularly a book by Craig Rochelle on discipline because he is so hyper-disciplined. Number one, if you listen to the backstory, which we talk about in this podcast, you're going to go, oh, you know, Craig's, we got, we got more in common than I thought, you know, particularly if like me, you struggle with discipline a little bit. And then Craig and I were at an event recently together and we showed up in the gym at the same time. Now talk about intimidating, but I'll tell you, he was so helpful and showed me some new workout routines and everything. So if you're ever one of those leaders who are like, I don't want to read about discipline. It's like, you got to get this book and you got to follow Craig because he will come alongside you and help you wherever you're at. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and also his new book, The Power to Change. So that's my own little like backstory to it. But Craig's one of my favorite people, one of the most influential people in my life. And we went in a very different direction with this conversation. So I want to tell you about the Ready for Easter workshop. Do you know if your church is ready for Easter? You're putting a lot of time into it, and it's probably your biggest outreach other than maybe Christmas. And for some of you, it's bigger. So I partnered up with David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group, to help with exactly that. On February 28th, we're hosting a free 60-minute workshop designed to help your church reach the right people this Easter. During the workshop, David and I are going to dissect some of Barna's most recent research that will help you really get the angle right this coming Easter and engage people effectively. Plus, we prepared some actionable steps and practical resources you can use leading up to, during, and after Easter. 
Easter. So if you're interested, go to readyforeaster.com to register for free. You can bring your entire team. Go to readyforeaster.com and get ready for Easter this year. So just recently on February 12th, football's biggest Sunday reached more than 100 million people. And guess what they saw? Two ads about Jesus and his message of radical love. First time I saw those ads brought me to tears. That means that right now, millions of people are having conversations in their homes and churches with friends and family and leaders about the ads and how Jesus' message is relevant to their lives. So the folks behind He Gets Us want you to be ready for these conversations and get your church ready. They've assembled some free resources, donor-enabled resources. Go to hegetsuspartners.com slash Super Bowl to learn more about He Gets Us and jump in on the conversation. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Hegetsuspartners.com slash Super Bowl to learn more about He Gets Us and get your free resources. So with all that framed up, I'm so excited to bring you this really real behind-the-scenes conversation with the one and only Craig Grishel. Craig, welcome back to the podcast. Kerry, I am uh, thrilled to be back with you. You know that I love you and it's always good to hang out with you digitally or in person. So let's, uh, let's throw down. Likewise, man, I'll tell you. I, so, you know, your new book, The Power to Change, I've followed you for years, as you know. I think I, could, I think I can honestly say it was in the 90s I discovered what you were doing when you were still a fledgling little church. Maybe it was the early 2000s. But I've always thought about you as one of the most disciplined people around period. And as I've gotten to know you over the last, I don't know, five, seven years or so, I'm like, yeah, hyper-disciplined. But that's not how you naturally see yourself or perhaps right. saw yourself. So can you take us back to younger Craig? Like, sure. Who, yeah. who is younger Craig? Yeah. Well, in, in, you know, in the early years, he way younger Craig, the, the pre-Christ Craig was, was not disciplined at all. Just, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, anything goes. And then as a, uh, as a young Christian, I would say that I did the disciplines that mattered most. Like if I was, you know, I was an athlete and so I would go to practice or whatever. If I had a test, I'd study for it. But I just wasn't really good at the life disciplines. And I felt, um, honestly, I felt very, very undisciplined. And like a lot of people will say, well, discipline's easy for you because you're just naturally disciplined. I would say that probably some people have a propensity to be slightly more disciplined than others. But from a theological standpoint, I would say that holistically, none of us are inherently disciplined because we're born with a sinful nature, right? And so uh -huh. we like to eat what we want to eat. We want to sleep when we want to sleep. We want to do what feels good. And so by nature... Uh, I would say that we are not highly disciplined creatures, but we have the power and the ability to, to choose discipline. And in many ways, if we take a theological standpoint, we could say that, you know, choosing the right disciplines is being godly if we, if we choose, you know, the, uh, in such a way. So what I yeah. learned is, uh, you know, from years of research and a lot of work and a lot of failure and a lot of searching scriptures, some principles that have helped me go from being what I would consider to be more naturally undisciplined to being a person with a lot of help um, and work is now very, very disciplined and thankful for the right disciplines. How did that impact your leadership as a young leader? Like when you look back on starting out as a pastor versus how you run your life now, you know, what, what were the implications of being less disciplined when you were younger? I would say there's so many of them. So in the, like in the early years, I didn't pray faithfully with Amy. In the early years, I would study scripture to preach sometimes more than I would for personal um, intimacy and devotion. 
there was a season, and I'm embarrassed to say this early on, that I was praying, you know, publicly and not didn't have a real vibrant um, private prayer life. And then in my 20s and 30s, I ate anything that I wanted and it didn't matter. And then when I woke up and I was old enough and it didn't matter. And so I wasn't sleeping as good, wasn't as healthy, wasn't as strong, wasn't um, as spiritually confident. And so the absence of the right disciplines or the presence of the wrong ones you know, robbed me of everything like spiritual strength and spiritual confidence and personal confidence and health and vibrance. And, and, and then the presence of a few of them over time started compounding and bringing more and more and more and more of the stuff that it would be pleasing to God and being helpful in the world. And so to me, it's everything. I mean, like I'm hyper passionate about it and want to help people create the right disciplines because they, they matter more than people could imagine. Well, I wanted to start there because it can be an instant, like you are hyper-disciplined these days, and it can be such a turnoff to leaders who would say, yeah, that's not me, so this doesn't apply to me. So I'll let you in on a little secret. I get the privilege, you have the privilege of working with your kids, I have the privilege of working with one of my sons, and we did a 360 last year, and it's all anonymous. But one of the questions was, how disciplined is Carrie? So Uh everyone's rating me like a nine out of 10. And then there's one, five or six. Uh And I said to Sam, I know that's you. And he Uh goes, oh yeah, I know the truth. You're not disciplined at all. He goes, these are all learned behaviors. (laughs) And I'm still struggling in some areas. So I, I think that's the good news, right? This is like emotional intelligence. It can be learned. Habits can be learned. And was there a turning point in your leadership or was there a wake up call or like, how did you become such a disciplined person? Did did something blow up in your face or was it gradual over time? I I wish that I could say that there was a turning point and that, you know, I read a book and it changed my life or God spoke to me and it changed my life, but that's just not true. What happened is I uh, started to recognize some things that, uh, needed to change. And I tried to change a lot of them and couldn't. I tried again and couldn't. And then one day I just thought, okay, I'm going to change one thing. And what I started to do, Carrie, is I started just to, to recognize, and I do this now with our teams. We're going to do this next week when we get together is we're all going to create one short-term goal to um, execute in our teams. If I tried to have them do three or four, they probably wouldn't do any. But if they can do one, the one tends to to cascade into other positive changes. And so I started um, adopting kind of one change a year. And I've been doing this now for 20 plus years. And what happened is nothing really big started to show up in the first year, two years, three years, four years. But after I had five kind of new disciplines in my life or the, maybe the absence of a bad one. Then I started seeing some really positive change. And then what started to happen is that it wasn't just exterior change, it was interior change where I started to say, well, I actually am becoming um, a more disciplined spiritual leader. And my confidence grew. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, this is, this is, you know, if you invest money, you get compounding return over time. I started to get the compounding spiritual returns that made me really, really passionate about continuing on that path. Mm. Now, you said this, you've got a number of good podcast episodes by the time this airs on um, habits, so people Mm -hmm. can definitely listen to that. But you said something really quick in one of them that I would like to go back to, and you said that you've struggled with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
Can you talk about that? Because I think that is a subject that comes up a lot when I talk to leaders, particularly when they have rapid growth. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like if people only knew. Mm -hmm. How, How has that, how did that, how has that impacted you, Craig? I would say, and I'm guessing that the that a bigger percentage of your leadership community probably will battle with this. And the reason is because studies show that those who are um, the highest tier leaders tend to struggle with this the most. And so I'm guessing that your leadership IQ, the average IQ, leadership IQ of your community is rather high because they're smart enough to listen to you, meaning like they, they are growing and they're investing in their own leadership. So I'm guessing a lot of people would do this. And I can just say from the earliest of any type of real success, I started to feel underprepared and unqualified. Uh, I, I bought my first few rent homes and they were really small, inexpensive homes that you know, I fell into kind of by accident in college. And so I was a landlord. And I, I remember being like 21, 22 years old saying, I feel like a fake pretend landlord. Well, the reality mm. was I had four rental units and I was a landlord, but I didn't feel like it. Then mm. um, I married Amy uh, in my early 20s. I was just, just turning 23 and we were, I felt like we were playing house. Like we were not really, you know, like we're pretend married. I uh, had my first kid. I felt like I'm a pretend dad. As a pastor, my gosh, I felt overwhelmed. I'm 23, still didn't have my degree. And I felt like I was so far in over my head. And then five years later, we started Life Church, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so for years and years, I just felt unqualified, unworthy, not good enough. And you can get, you can be relatively successful for a while with that mindset, but eventually, if something doesn't change on the inside, your own limiting belief is going to become a limiting factor in the people you can impact. And so that's when I had to start working on growing through it. And it took some time and there's still times when I feel less confident than I'd like, but uh, it's something that I would say if a leader is battling with those feelings, let's talk about them, let's acknowledge them, and then let's find some help to grow through them. We can talk about how if you want to, but it's it really is important to and that's why on my podcast, a lot of times I'll just try to tell people like, you know, like literally I believe in you. There's more in you because I want them to feel that so that they can step into the fullness of who they're created to be. You're, you're so good at that. I mean, in our conversations and in the interviews we've had, you're such an encourager of people. And I mean, it's not like you have, you do that indiscriminately. You have extremely high standards, but you try to look for the good in people. How did that work? Because I think you're right, like on the interior dialogue, if you feel like you have imposter syndrome, if you don't catch it early enough, eventually it does become self-limiting or self-sabotaging, right? Mm -hmm. You you blow up the church because you think it's too big and you can't lead it or the air just comes out of the balloon. Mm -hmm. This is getting a little bit into winning the war in your mind, your last Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. But when when you go into that negative self-talk spiral, yes. how do you pull yourself out of that? Yeah, so if you're asking, you, earlier you are asking about how do we do it for others, and then, but if you wanna go there, um, mm-hmm. I, I would say that, I mean, even just last week, so my dad recently passed away, mm-hmm. and um, I was having a tough day, and I um, was not as kind to my wife, Amy, as I would've liked to have been, and I walked mm-hmm. away with that negative self-talk saying, you know, just, you know, you're, I was telling myself, you're a jerk, you know, she didn't, you don't deserve her. And it just, I mean, immediately I just went right back into that sense of shame 
because I was dealing with some sadness and let, and took that out on, on her. And what you have to do is you have to just recognize, I mean, literally when you're believing something that's not true, and this is really, really difficult because if you believe something that's not true for a long time, then you just believe it. And that's one of the first things we have to do is, and that's why there are a lot of people right now listening that probably would even say, well, no, I don't really have imposter syndrome. I'm just really not good enough. You know, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, like okay. they really think they're not and that they don't realize that's what it is. And so uh, we have to start by acknowledging it. And then we need to acknowledge that we need help. We need to change. And this is where a lot of, especially high caliber leaders, they think, well, that's, that's weakness. And I would just say, admitting that we need help is never weakness, it's always wisdom. And we need to start there. So, you know, any kind of change starts with acknowledging the change. You, you cannot defeat what you don't define. You cannot change what you, you know, you can't, you can't confront. And, and so I'd start with acknowledging it. And then we look at what is the, the truth that replaces the lie. And the gift that we can have as leaders is we can speak life into others and help them become who they were created to be. That's one of the most important things that we do there's me-centered leaders when it's all about me, and there's you-centered leaders when it's all about the person in front of you. We want to be you-centered leaders, and you do a great job of this. The reason, you, one of the reasons why you're one of the best interviewers I know is because you genuinely care about the person on the other side. You, you do your research, and you pull something out of them, out of a care for them, and if we'll just care about the other people, then we can, we just almost can't, can't not encourage them. We want to, we see more in them than they see in themselves. We want to bring it out. We want to love it out, cheer it out, encourage it out. And that's, that's something I feel called to do. It's not just a, it's not just a gift. I feel like it's a calling. And I think as leaders, we should all at some point embrace that as part of our calling as leaders. Yeah. And you've made a lot of progress. I mean, in terms of declarations, in terms of weeding out the lies in your life, but I think you you raised a really important point, Craig. I think particularly at this stage, you're kind of like, well, I hope I'd arrived, but it's there are elements of it that's still a daily battle, right? No, oh, no. Do you find course. that? No, I mean, yeah. it's like it's kind of like um, in your spiritual um, maturation process, you um, you kind of get the big things handled early on, like I'm no longer you know flipping people off, and I'm not getting drunk every Friday night, and, and then. When you get to the things that are less visible, that's when it gets hard, right? When you're dealing with pride and you're dealing with envy, you know, or you're dealing with private lust issues or whatever that no one else sees, that's when it gets more difficult. And I would say it's true with our confidence that, okay, so now we can get up and we can lead a meeting and, you know, we're confident enough to do that, or we can do a presentation or, you know, I can actually have a difficult conversation with someone. You get through those things, and then you, the better you get at some of those things, the more aware you become of all the other things that you need to deal with. I mean, little they, they, they seem like little things, but they're big things. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to speak over people. I get rushed, too excited. That seems like a little thing. It's incredibly rude and dishonoring. It's incredibly rude and dishonoring. So that's one of the things that I... As, you know, as small as that may sound, like you know, you can you can cheer on ten thousand people, but if you can't, if you speak over one person and devalue them, that's not good leadership. 
And so that's one of the things I'm working on. Um, Listening more than I talk with the people around me is because I tend to think the leader in the room needs to talk. And actually the leader in the room needs to listen. So a lot of little things like that I'm always working on. And then even personally, it's, um, I, I've been battling with shingles. Well, what is shingles a result of? Okay, that's a result of stress. And so in my mind, whenever I feel something stressful coming, I go through kind of a mental routine, almost like almost like meditation where I'm focused. I have this something that's, um, I could share it, but I don't want to bore people. But it is to calm me, to try to um, get control of my thoughts. And Do you mind of, sharing it? I don't think it's boring at all. No, it, it is kind of boring, but what, what I do is I had, there was a, there was a time when I was, um, when I was at a funeral and there was dead all around and there was this one tree that was big and beautiful and I just stared at the tree. And so what I do now is I, I, I picture it kind of like being a tree of life. And so I try to silence all of the noise around me and I visualize that tree and I slow my breathing down and I think about words of life that, um, from scripture. So what that does is it, is it's, it's almost like meditation. It's easing, um, easing my stress. And that's, you know, that's just something I'm working on now. And I would say that probably to really continue to grow in your leadership, you're going to want to have at least one thing, sometimes only one thing that you're working on. And, you know, at any time I say, Hey, Carrie, what are you working on? I I bet you could tell me something right now, right? Mm -hmm. What what are you working on? Positive kitchen. Uh, So we're early into the new year, a couple months by the time this airs. And my wife, Tony, and I sat down and I said, okay, how can I love you better as a husband? Mm-hmm. And she, she's an incredible cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she usually makes dinner. I'll help out a little bit. I'll do the outside stuff, the barbecue and that kind of stuff and clean up. But I can get stressed. If I've had a mm-hmm. full day or dinner's running a little bit late, I can be a little bit critical. And so we are working on a positive kitchen and that has nothing to do with her and everything yeah. to do with me. And you know what? Just by bringing it to mind, making it a goal, realizing you have an incredible woman you're married to, she makes great meals, she never complains, and you're a jerk. So <laughs> be positive and encouraging. So that's our that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah. So whoever's sure. li- so whoever's listening right now, you're smart to listen to Carrie's podcast. It comes out all the time. I I would just say, what are you working on? And if you can tell us something right now, well done. And if you can't let's come up with something just like yeah. that, something small. So, and then, then what that does is it's creating, um, it's creating a win or an opportunity that builds your confidence, helps you become better. And, uh, and you do enough of those, you're going to really make, make even a more significant difference. So um, you started with flossing your teeth. That was the keystone habit that's yep. in the book. You've talked about it. That was the first, like, I'm going to get disciplined. I'm going to floss my teeth. You can explain a bit of the background of that, but what is it for you right now? Like, what are you, you're working on, I guess, decelerating the nerves when you get nervous and stressed and, you know, that triggers your shingles. Anything else you're working on right now? Do you have a habit of the year? Yeah, so the, so the, so the backstory is that I just hated flossing and I, and uh, I decided to start flossing because if I could do something I didn't want to do, I was saying I'm overcoming you know, kind of my feelings and I, I am a disciplined person and I, and I joke around about it a lot, but it's not really a joke. If I do that in my mind, well, I might as well do my other disciplines. And if that one's not there, it's, it, and I think it was Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit, who wrote about, if, if your audience hasn't listened to that, you'll want to read, or read James Clear's book, of course, Atomic Habits and The Power of Habit are two of my favorite you want to listen to um, or read. 
uh, and that's a habit that creates other positive um, disciplines. In my life this year, Carrie, what I'm um, doing, that's more internal and it's more recent just because I've been battling shingles. Mm -hmm. uh, but I reestablished a habit that I put aside is I did five-year journals until I blew through a couple of five-year journals and then I thought I'd done it for a while and I stopped journaling. So I picked that back up this year, which is is actually pretty important to, to in my mind to document kind of what I'm learning, what I'm doing, what God is showing me, questions I'm asking. And what I like about the five-year journal, if no one has done one or seen one, you don't have to write much, which is great because I'm not good at writing. I was writing just going to ask you, like, no, no, I've and tried so, morning pages. Tell us more about that. Oh, I failed so many times. It's ridiculous. But the, yeah, the five-year journal, if you can imagine it's one book and you write five years in it. So it's that you can't write much. You'll write maybe four or five lines. And then what happens is, let's say today is February the 21st. And then next year on February 21st, you're going to look right below on the same day and see what you wrote a year ago. Three years from now, you'll see in February 1st, 2025, you can look back at February 2022 or 2023 or 20, whatever, five, 20, whatever the years are, you look back on the same days. And what happened is several things. One is I realized where I had repetitive challenges. So I saw the things that I kept journaling about that weren't, that I hadn't changed and that brought to attention where I needed to focus. Another thing is I saw the faithfulness of God because I, I was going like, yeah, and I thought that was going to take us out and kill us. And well, God got us through that. And uh -huh. so it made me think, well, a year from now, whatever I'm going through today, I'm probably going to look back at this day a year from now and say, God got us through that. And so it was like a, a spiritual part. And then it just became a great place to document anything, gratitude or you know, prayer needs or whatever. So that's I picked that back up because I set it down. Mm. What does journaling do for you? I'm saying that as a, a fellow struggler and someone who for the last three or four years has picked it up again, but I keep mm -hmm. changing forms about every four or five months. It's like, that's too long. That's too it's, short. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, if someone writes, can do write a lot more power to them. You know, I just, I just never have. And so it's everything from capturing ideas <laughs> to like, you sent me two podcasts to listen to. And so I wrote down some of the big thoughts that I, had from, got from those. So it's capturing ideas, it's documenting, you know, today my daughter turned such and such age and we went and did this. You, you know, you, I am going to forget a ton of meaningful moments. When you write them down, you get to go back and revisit them and you, you, you won't forget them. Um, and I write it in such a way that if I lost it on an airplane, uh, I wouldn't be embarrassed. So I, I'm, I, I'm writing it it's very transparent, but it's also transferable, meaning if my kids want to have it one day to see the work of God in my life, I am writing it as if someone else might read it. Very, very personal, but not so personal that it would be um, would be embarrassing. It's not a confessional in that sense. In some ways it is, but it's it's yeah. not to the level of you know, it's, it's, it's something my kids could read on purpose one day if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. You know, one of the things I noticed, and you can feel free to agree or disagree, but one of the things that got me moving from the, oh my gosh, I'm very undisciplined. I better pull up my socks was I seem to notice, and this started when I was in my thirties, that the leaders I admired most had not always extreme levels of discipline, but there was meaningful self-discipline and personal mm -hmm, discipline. Mm -hmm, in their lives. Mm -hmm. They were disciplined financially, disciplined in 
how they regulated their emotions on the outside, mm-hmm. disciplined in their work habits, disciplined. I mean, you'd walk into their offices, they were tidy and neat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a direct connection between discipline and effectiveness and leadership? I would say th- there's exceptions to everything, of course. I would say for the most part that most very successful people are radically and almost oddly disciplined, not necessarily in every area of life, but in in strategic areas for what they do. For example, uh, you might have a preacher that maybe is a little bit overweight, so they're maybe not as disciplined in the gym, and so they're not disciplined holistically, but they read God's word, memorize God's word, know God's word, and preach God's word. Like they, like they, they may have 50 chapters of the Bible memorized because they're incredibly disciplined in God's word. So it doesn't mean that they're necessarily holistically disciplined, but I think it would be hard to find anybody that's hyper-successful that's not hyper-disciplined in some areas of their life. And so what we want to do is we want to be um, as holistically disciplined in the things that really matter. For example, our bodies do matter, so we should care. Our minds matter, we should care. Our relationships matter, so we should care. But then we want to hone in on two or three or four disciplines that really create a compounding impact in the area of passion or ministry or profession that matters to us. And if you can find those that um, that that really move the ball forward in your area, then get weird about them. I mean, like weird. You know, if I told you some of the things, some of my disciplines, people go, that's weird. I go, absolutely, it's weird. I mean, normal gets normal results. an example? I mean, there are a ton of them. There's just, it's like um, from my sleep rhythms to what I, from the crazy supplements I take to how I measure workouts to what I eat to when I eat to where my snacks are to what kind of snacks I have to what kind of lunches that I have to how I, um, uh, my rhythms of relationship of how I intentionally spend time with certain people to learn from them, to praying with Amy, um, at certain times of the day to, you know, when I study, when I don't study, when I make decisions, when I, it's like my whole life is, um, it's been dialed in over the years, little change by little change, by little change, by little change, by little change into a very odd, very different rhythmic kind of boring, predictable, life that works for what I do. I wouldn't tell anyone to copy it because it wouldn't be effective for what they do. I wouldn't brag on it because it's kind of weird. Um, but it, it is, it is what works for me to have the marriage that I have, to be involved in my kid's life the way I am, to be physically, um, uh, at hopefully the peak of whatever age I am and to, to lead a ministry that is making a difference. And, uh, you cannot be undisciplined and have those things working well, you got to have some extremes. And so I I would just tell your audience, don't be afraid of the extremes. (laughs) Greatness happens in the extremes. Don't be afraid of the extremes. Find a few, two, three, four areas. If you're not doing something that other people call odd, you probably won't do something a lot of people call great. You know, there is a a tendency on that note to want to be generalist today, to be up on social media, to be watching all the latest shows. I've thought about this, but in order to do what I do, I have deleted things in my life. So I don't follow sports. I'm sure if there's a Toronto team in the finals, I might watch the final series or something like that. 
I'm not that up to date on movies. I don't watch a lot. I don't read fiction. It's stuff like that. Are there categories to pursue what you're doing now, which is excellence in physical fitness, uh, you know, really building into your family, uh, leading a church with 44 locations and counting, et cetera, et cetera. Are there areas where you've just like dropped entirely where you're like, I'm not going to pursue that even though a lot of other people pursue that? Or are you still like curious about things? Um, no. So I would say there, there are a lot of things that it would look like I do, but I've actually delegated. Ah. Right. So, so it, it would probably be scary for some people to know what I don't know and what I don't do that it actually looks like I would know and looks like I do. So there are things that get done that are important, but someone else is getting them done. A lot of things like that. And so the, you know, the, the more, the more that you want to do, the more you want to narrow your focus and then you want to give, um, give more away. Um, as far as the disciplines, you know, you could take any area of your life and like physical health, there's so much to it. And in the early years, all I, literally all I thought is I'm going to go to the gym and get in shape. And so I went very, very faithfully, worked out, uh, had a decent routine and was, um, had a dad bod. Meaning if I show you pictures of a certain season, you go, yep, that's a dad bod. Yep. And the reason, the reason is because I ate anything and everything that I wanted. So then I decided to eat healthy and instead of getting a hamburger fries and a shake, I got a chicken burger fries and a shake. And I thought that was eating healthy. Like I literally thought that was eating healthy. And then I recognized, okay, there's so much more to it. So I started learning and it took me probably literally carry, it took me probably 10 years to dial in my diet. And then I started looking at what supplements that I would need to take, what type of vitamins, what do I need for my body? And so I go, it's, you know, a regular, um, get my blood drawn regularly. Just, you know, I'm always tweaking here and there. And so it's tweaking the workouts. Then it was a different type of workout and then the varying the workout. So you shock your muscles and then it's, you know, what you put in your body. And then it's, then I got into looking at my sleep going on. My sleep's not as effective. So what do I do? I'm going to put my phone away for a certain time. I'm not going to take melatonin because my body gets used to it. I'm going to train my body, whatever. You know, I'm going to make sure I work out at a certain time. I'm going to do a sauna because that helps follow by, you know, all these little things. And just little by little by little by little. Uh, and now it's it's more effective. Hopefully in five years, I'll be able to tell you three or four or five new things that I've learned over time. And it's just, it's just dialing it in. And, and we do that in, in certain, you pick the most important areas, whatever they are. Is it your marriage? Then get, get good at it. Is it your is it your spiritual life? Then dial it in. Is it your body, your physical health? Then figure it out. Is it your leadership? Figure it out. Is it managing your money? Figure it out. Is it parenting or being involved in your grandkids' life? Whatever it is. So just pick an area and and slowly, faithfully grow in it, little by little by little by little, and then you'll wake up and you'll look back and go, "Wow, we've actually come a long way." That's a really good set of advice because I can see people saying, I got to change everything. I got to change my marriage. I got to change money. I got to change my health, what I'm eating, working out. Pick one and do one thing. One thing. Mm. Pick one Mm -hmm. and do one thing. Floss your teeth. That's what we do with our teams right now is we don't, I don't want um, a campus pastor coming back with three goals because what is three goals equal? Not much. Yeah. 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 So if you don't mind, because this is an area that I'm very interested in. Can we talk about dialing in your sleep habits? That is something I've worked very hard on over the last four or five years. 
and have made a lot of improvements. And the reason it's so important to me is when I burned out uh, 17 years ago now, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it was largely running around like a chicken with my head cut off, rapidly growing church, no boundaries, cheated my family mm-hmm. and uh, ran out of gas. My body's mm-hmm. like, well, you won't stop, so I will. And I was so exhausted. And now I'm in a very different place, but mm-hmm. it's been like nerdy kind of stuff that mm-hmm. I'm doing. I'd love to know what you're learning about sleep. Well, I think you, I think you're, you, I would probably learn from you because I'm in the newer stages of learning, meaning like three years of kind of dialing it in. And you, you so you might be way um, in, in uh, I'd, more down. I'd love to hear. Time. Yeah. So it's quite, it's quite a few things. What I, what I know is, having your hormones right or wrong impacts your sleep. What I know is that um, your diet, when you eat, what you eat impacts your sleep. Um, at my age, and I drink a, you know, a gallon of water a day, if I do that at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, I have to start limiting that, what I drink after that, 8 that, p.m. That impacts your sleep. What I know mm-hmm. is that your, um, your digital screen consumption uh, Im- impacts your sleep whatever you're thinking about before bed impacts, uh, impacts your, your sleep. If you do a uh, sauna or an ice bath, if you work out or not, the rhythms of your body impacts your sleep. Uh, your body likes rhythms. Some people need more sleep. What you want to do is determine how much you need. Oddly enough, for whatever reason, I function real well with about six hours of sleep. And I, 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 I cannot seem to sleep eight. It just doesn't, I just wake up and I'm ready to go and I feel good every day. Some people, you need eight. And so what you need to do is there's not a right or wrong, but you got to find out how, how much do you need. And what I've found is um, all those things I've talked about, if I stop eating at a certain time, put my phone away at a certain time, don't watch TV at a certain time, stop talking on the phone at a certain time, stop having certain types of conversations at the same time, don't read a leadership book at the last minute so my mind's going... If I have, I've got a notepad by my bed. If I have a thought, I write it on there because what I do is I get it off my mind. And so it's, it goes away. My phone's in the other room and it's, and it's turn, so there, any bings aren't going to get me. And it, I mean, literally it's in, it's in uh, two rooms away. So my, my phone's not getting me. And then if I go to bed at a certain time and I wake up around the same time, my body's getting in the rhythm. So my kid, my kids are teenagers. They're in bed at two o'clock one night and 10 o'clock the next and sleep until four, you know, four in the afternoon. And so there's, there's no rhythm. And a lot of people live like that. And if you want, I, I believe one of the most important investments you can make is learning how to create good sleep rhythms, because that's one of the biggest returns on your mental health, your physical health, your productivity, your relationships. So, like I said, I'm early in the development. You could probably add to it things that I don't know yet. And um, very similar, me. very, very similar. Um, you know, I try not to look at my phone for an hour before bed. Um, Tony and I will often just watch a sitcom or something like that for a half hour and, you know, maybe around nine o'clock, be in bed, lights out by 10. And it's interesting. I was a six hour a night person no matter what I did. And then over the pandemic, I really said, no, I'm not going to pride myself at 4 a.m. anymore. I'm going to try to see how much sleep my body needs. And it's easiest on vacation because then you don't have anything to really wake up for. What I've discovered is I've trained my body to take seven hours, seven and a half hours, eight hours. 
Mm-hmm. I feel so much better, Craig. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, my book at your best right now I'm in my red zone. It's four mm-hmm. 30 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. When we booked it, I'm like, well, I got Craig, I'm going to do this. But normally I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great sleep last night, had a little lie down siesta at lunch and I'm good to go. Took a half hour to like unplug my brain before we talk so that I wasn't swirling with all kinds of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, did a little bit of mindless work. And I find that that gear down is really helpful. I sleep with my phone in this office and we're two floors up mm-hmm. in my house in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. A lot of very similar things. Have you read, um, and we're really nerding out here, but we're nerding out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I adopted this weird sleep position thing by a guy named Nick Littlehays, I think was his name. I could have that totally wrong. The book I mm-hmm. think is called Sleep. And basically... You have to figure out if you're right-handed, I'm right-handed. Are you right or left? I'm right-handed. Right-handed. So uh-huh. you sleep on your left side in almost the fetal position with your hands out like this and then your knees a little bit bent. That increased because I track it with my Aura Ring and also my Apple Watch. That increased my deep sleep by double overnight. Hmm. I used to be a back sleeper. Uh-huh. And there's something about that semi-fetal position on your opposite side to your dominant hand that has made a huge difference. So I'm like nerding. I'm really a pillow guy now. So I like a good solid pillow, not these little mm. pancakes that pass as pillows. <laughs> so uh, temperature, really important. Yes. Are you yep. a cold or a hot sleeper? I prefer well, it to be about I, 60, 63. Yeah, I'm not, uh, my my wife would probably leave me over that. And yes. so, yeah. That is a challenge, isn't it? It is a challenge, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting because I, I was, trained to sleep on my back with a certain type of pillow, which is a you know, different type and even the mattress. And so um, that's new to me. And from what I understand, cold is better um, for sleeping. Mm-hmm. From what You I've, can get those. Research. They're really expensive. We haven't got one, but you can get like, uh, I think Eight Sleep does them or companies like that, where you can turn the bed temperature to different temperatures. That's but interesting. We'll- I wanted to invent, and this may already be out, but Amy likes in the winter these real thick, um, it's like sleeping in a robe, and I hate those sheets. So I, I want to make one that's 50% my sheet and 50% her robe sheet, and I, I don't have time for that. But if it's out there, someone send me the link, and if not, yeah. someone can take, take the idea, and I will just, I'll just be just a customer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be a customer. I'll be a customer for that. You know what we did? We bought, if someone says, what's the best under $100 purchase? I went to a local store, I think it's a Canadian chain, bought an inexpensive synthetic uh, down duvet for our bed because we were having blanket wars like Tony wants lots and she was always cold and I was always hot. It's this like $89 fake duvet. She is hot and I'm cold. I don't know what that is, but it works and we are, we are thrilled. So Interesting, good. Managed to get on that. But yeah, all that stuff, why, why do I care so much? Because it makes a huge difference about how we're feeling at this time of the afternoon, does it not? It does. It it does, 100%. Mm -hmm. And when you're writing? Okay. Well, that's good. You mentioned James Clear. You mentioned Charles Duhigg. So other books on habits, you know, James's, we just had him on the show. He's sold over 10 million copies, which is incredible. And I know you're a fan. Yes. You've applied a lot of those principles. What is different about the power to change? What, what What is the unique contribution there? Yeah, well, I would have to say, you know, there, there's no way I would say is better than his book because his, his book is a classic. I mean, it really is truly a modern day classic and it just is worthy of that. 
So uh, I think a difference would be that it's written from a um, solely Christian perspective. And, um, you know, I've had James on my podcast as well, and, and I, I don't know um, his spiritual background or beliefs. His content is phenomenal and stands on its own. But what I want to do in my book that might make it a little bit different is rather than just talking about, and not to say his is only behavior modification because it's not, but most people, what, when they approach change, they're, they're attempting behavior modification. And what I'm trying to get at is real spiritual transformation. Because if you change a behavior without changing the heart, the behavior doesn't last. And so what we want to do is we want to start more with, um, with identity uh, and not just um, an identity to have a certain goal, but to have a Christ-centered identity that will help drive our behaviors and then our behaviors will reinforce that identity. That, I think that would be a little bit of a um, differentiating factor from a lot of other books on habits. And I think it um, could complement um, a lot of the good works that are already out there. That's what I loved about it. I mean, James does talk about identity in the formation of habits. Who do we want to become? But you start there Mm -hmm. and then you take the spiritual angle. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Do you want to talk about identity and how you see that in shaping habits? Because I think it's so important. It it is ridiculously important. So why is it that we do what we do? If we've got good habits or we've got unhealthy habits, why do we do what we do? There there are are, um, many secondary reasons but I'm gonna give you the secondary reasons so we can acknowledge them and then we'll deal with the primary reason, which is the one that most people overlook. Secondary reasons is because we're obligated. You know, we have to do this, our doctor told me or, you know, whatever. Um, I gotta do this for school, we're obligated. Another reason is because we actually choose it. We want to, meaning like, I wanna honor God with this. I wanna get up and run. I wanna eat right, we choose it. Um, another reason would be we want to be popular. We want to be liked. We want to fit in. This, this, this is, you know, builds credibility. So those are some of, and there are other secondary reasons. The primary reason that we do what we do, why do you do what you do? The primary reason is because you do what you do because of what you think of you. That's why you do what you do. And so if you want to change what you think of, if, you, if we want to change what you do, then you have to change what you think of you. And so that's why it's not just that I want to become this type of person, but more than that is I want to become who God sees me as and who he says that I am. And then if you, if you want to have godly habits, you want to start with a, a God-honoring character. And out of that, the right habits are going to um, come. And so I want to try to help people start with a Christ-centered identity um, and then the right habits will tend to come out of that. So if this is if this is the type of person God wants me to be, what kind of habits does a person like that do? And then what I'm doing in the book is teach them to let's just let's just start one or let's break one and start there. And this is a little bit of a differentiating factor is is that um, we're only doing one, and you can do one. And once you do one long enough, then that starts to reinforce your God honoring identity. And then we take another one on them. We compound over time. We look in, you know, about the value of community in this. We look about the, about literally the spiritual power, meaning that our willpower wanes. We know that, right? We, you know, you can get decision fatigue. And so how do we very practically and spiritually tap into a very real power from heaven and make that work in our favor. And it's, it's not just a sermon, but it's really, a, it's a way of life and it is, it's, it's God's power. And so I think it's, um, I'm really optimistic that if people um, 
have a really open mind to think in a different way that it's going to create a lot of good uh, life change in people. I love that about the book, Craig, because you really emphasize it's who you want to become. And you and I've talked about this, but like I had a moment. So I literally joined a program last May called Ditch Your Dad Bod. <laughs> so back to what you were saying. I like the title. And I'm doing, yeah. It's so good. And I'm, um, I'm doing strength training, seriously, for the first time in my life. A lot of body weight stuff because I'm on the road a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Which is brilliant and, yep, and effective. It's really good and it's really challenging. I mean, 80 push-ups, like good luck. Yep. Go, go for that. It's hard. And it was a year ago, you and I will be in the same place in a few weeks where we'll have some downtime together, et cetera, et cetera. But a year ago, if, if you would have said, hey, come work out with me, I would have been like, uh, dude, I'm busy that morning, Craig, thanks. Just intimidated, imposter syndrome, couldn't do it. Now I'd be like, yeah, I think I'm going to go to the gym. Good. Like, I think I will do it that morning and I'll just do my thing. I'm not going to be at the level of other people in the gym. But there was a moment last fall where, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. I've lost about 10, 15 pounds, which is great. But where it went from, I'm doing these exercises four times a week in order to lose weight mm -hmm. to simply, no, I'm, I'm just working out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I got, that's, got that's rid when you of win. That's two. when you win. Yes. That's when you win. And yeah. it's a habit. And I switched it because, you know, I wrote a book on this. I'm like, don't exercise in your green zone your best time of day mm -hmm. unless you're trying out for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that by the time I got to four o'clock, I was too tired to work out. Mm -hmm. So I moved it to the morning and now it's part of my morning routine. So I got to mm -hmm. rewrite the book. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just it just changed so much. And it's a little bit like what Seth Godin says. And I know you follow Seth, but like people like us do things like this. Right. And this is what fit people do. And I want to be a fit person. When I'm 70, I want to be fit. When I'm 80, I want to be fit. I want to have mobility, agility, strength, et cetera. Do you, do you see that flip? And that goes back to imposter syndrome too, where you're like, yeah, I may not be the strongest guy in the gym, but I belong here. Yeah. And can you talk about that pivot and how it operates? Yeah, so I, I would say the, um, and we talk about this in the book, The Power to Change, there's a little bit of different mindset. What, what a lot of people do is there's like saying, I'm trying to lose weight. You know, I'm trying to hit, quit hitting snooze. I'm trying to get more organized at the office. And I would say this, that's, that's not born out of an identity. That's born out of an attempt. And, the, and, and to try is kind of like, I mean, what I'm trying is kind of like a half-hearted attempt with, a re, with an excuse to bail, meaning I, I'm going to try, but I might not. So I would suggest, I would just tell people like, stop trying and start training. Very, very simple change, but stop trying to get better at something and start training. When you train, you're becoming better at something that you already are. Okay, if I'm, if I'm a runner in training, what did I do? I bought the shoes, I got the app, I'm watching the commercials, you know, I'm reading the book, I'm studying other people, I've got the tan lines in the right places, I got the right running shorts, so what, I know the running routes or whatever, you know, I know the best place in town because I'm not trying to learn to run, but I'm a runner in training. And that's what happened to you is somewhere along the way, you stopped trying to lose weight and you became someone who works out. That's identity. And what we want to do is, again, like, I'm not a big believer in outcome goals at all. The problem with outcome goals is I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to get out of debt or, you know, I want to be speaking at some conference or write a book is that you don't win until you achieve the goal. 
And there are so many goals in life that you don't achieve for months or even years or decades. And so it takes a long time to win. <laughs> well, when the goal isn't out there, but the goal is training today, then you get to win today. Meaning, what'd you do? You went to the gym today and you trained and that's, that's a win today. And so you aren't successful in the future when you achieve some goal, you're successful when you're, when you're faithful and you train today. And that's just a little, it, it, it sounds almost like a play on words, but it is not. For example, I was taking flying lessons, trying to become a pilot. And what happened to me one time, the guy, my instructor asked me, um, what's the weather gonna be tomorrow? And I pulled up the weather app. I didn't pull up the pilot's app, which has better weather. I pulled up the weather app. And he looked at me and he said, close that app. He goes, are you a pilot or not? And I thought, well, I don't have my pilot's license yet, but I have done a solo. I said, you know what? I'm a pilot. What does a pilot do? A pilot pulls up the pilot's app. We look at a better, we look at a more sophisticated way. That's what we do. And so I was no, and that was the moment in my mind where it happened, Carrie, is I wasn't trying to learn to fly. I was a pilot at that moment. Okay, mm -hmm. I got my license later, but I was already a pilot. Uh, I'm getting my instrument rating now. I'm just a better pilot. I'm just, you know, I'm, a, I'm training to become a better pilot. But that's, that's the difference. And that's what happened to you is, you stop trying to lose weight and you became a person who works out. Stop trying, start training. And that kind of leads to what some people call the law, the harvest that you reap what you sow. And you and I have lived a number of decades now where that, I kind of knew about it in my 20s, but you see it in your 50s. Like you do, you do. Bad things get worse. Mm -hmm. Good things get better. Yep. I always thought that all your problems worked out by the time you hit fifty or sixty, <laughs> and then I realized no, they just compound. No. You if discover you don't deal the with problems them. you created. Oh, yeah. Do you ever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that sowing and reaping, and because you have a great section in the power to change on that as well. Thank you. Well, this this is not a principle I, I did not make up. Um, obviously, there was I think someone Paul wrote about yeah, it or a couple something. thousand years ago. Uh, there were some that went before us that that um, that wrote about it. But some of the principles in sowing and reaping is, and these are not original to me, but you you reap what you sow. So, like if you if you reap good disciplines, you reap a good harvest. If you reap sloppy disciplines, you you have you have a bad harvest. You typically reap where you sow. So if you sow into relationships, you have better relationships. If you sow into your leadership, you tend to have uh, better leadership. Uh, you reap more than you sow, meaning if you plant a seed, you get a bigger harvest. And if you plant the right seeds, the right disciplines, you tend to get a really, really uh, a better harvest. And so those are some principles. And if you go way back to right before we started Life Church, uh, 28-ish years ago, I was meeting with a mentor and he said, he said a couple things to me. One is he said, um, God's going to break you, which I didn't like that part, but he said that. Mm. And then <laughs> two, he said, and I, I never will forget, he said um, that you will, um, you'll vastly overestimate what you can do in the short run, which was so true. Like we, you know, year one, we had 125 people coming and I wanted 300 people. And I was so upset there wasn't more people, you know. He said, you'll vastly overestimate what you can do in the short run. And he, and he said, but you'll also vastly underestimate what God can do through a lifetime of faithfulness. And that, what he said then, I didn't have the capacity at that age to really understand what it meant, but I'm having more at this age, the ability to see that is so true, that a really a God-honoring life, a life of great impact like you, one of the things I love about you 
is that you were doing what you did before anyone knew who you were. Not much has changed. Meaning you all, and what I loved about you is like you scrapped your way into real influence with nothing but good content. I would find you, I'd be Googling something and I come across your webpage and I'd read the article and I go, that was good. I read 12 bad ones and that one was good. Six months later, I'd find you again. I go, who is this guy? This is good content. And what you did, Carrie, is you were really faithful doing the hard work back when you didn't have a big audience. And a little bit here and a lot of research there and a lot of hours here and a lot of discipline there and hard work for years when nobody was listening, you were putting seeds in the ground and those started to come up. And now here you are 15, 20 years later and you have real influence. And that's, that's, that's sowing and reaping. That's what you did. You sowed, you sowed, you sowed, you sowed. Nobody noticed you kept sowing, you sowed back up, you sowed. And then you had a little harvest and then you had a bigger harvest. Now you got a massive harvest. And so um, I would just say, you know, there's probably somebody jogging on a treadmill listening right now or driving on a commute or something. And you think, you know, just not getting there. There's a real powerful scripture. You know, don't grow weary in doing good for your reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep doing the right things. It's the, it's the small things that no one sees that bring about the big results that everyone wants. It's, it's not what you do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what you do consistently. And that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to master the habits that matter most. We're going to invest in the right places, and we're gonna, we are going to make a difference. It may not be in six months, um, but in six years, watch out. In, in three decades, get ready. I appreciate you saying that, you know, and you see that too, if you're an investor, um, what you put in versus what you have, very mm-hmm. small difference in the first year or two. Sometimes it goes down. So it's, boring, but then, it's boring and it doesn't work at first. Yeah. And you, you're, you may be down in, down in year two, but you invest a little bit in the market year over year, a little bit, a little bit consistently, dollar cost averaging over a seven year period, you're, you're probably going to be pretty happy. Yep. And then over a 30 year period, oh my gosh, you're going to be, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be, if you're not generous, you're selfish because you should be generous over a 30 year period. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you sowing right now? What areas of your life are you sowing into? When you think about your life a decade, two decades from now, where are you in particular planting seeds that you hope you will be able to harvest? It's a great question. So oddly enough, for the first time in a long time, I, took on what I call kind of a newer close friend, meaning for years, I kind of felt like my inner circle friendship was full. And then one day I realized, well, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> like, well, why would you limit something good? And I um, made a new friend with a person that I both learned from like crazy. It's very mutual. And I'm able to invest in toward ministry. It's a great business person that's kind of bored with business and wants to do more ministry. So that's a um, mutual sowing into a, uh, a friendship there. And then the younger um, team on our church is just kind of an ongoing conversation. How do we both like pour into them because there's, there's, there's no way to fast track wisdom. You know, it just takes experience to get wisdom. So you can be, you can be talented, but you got to develop wisdom. And so how do we, share wisdom with the younger generation. And then also, like, how do we get around them just so we learn? So it's, again, it's mutual, meaning there's so much that I need to learn from how they think, how they relate, how they learn, why they like certain things, why they don't, what makes sense to them, how they, how they 
process how they mature spiritually. And so I'd say one is I'm investing just in friends who's also investing in me. And then two, it's the younger leaders because you know, I'm 55 years of age. And so at some point we need to be handing off more and more and more and more and more. And I don't want to wait until everyone says, why hadn't he gone out to the pastor yet? He's, you know, I want to be yeah. developing that now. And I'd say we just, we have more to do. It's like, it's not easy. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of time. And that's something that is a priority and needs to become even more of a priority um, as the days move forward. No, those are good areas uh, to invest in. It's funny. I'm also thinking about that. One of my good friends is a, a doctor specializing in mental health. And, you know, his name is Rob. And Rob would agree with the Harvard study, that longitudinal study that's been going on since 1938, that... By the time you hit 75 or 80, the only thing that really matters is relationships. The quality yes. of your life is the quality of your relationships. Yes. And a lot of times in leadership, we we sacrifice that. How hard is it for you to make friends leading something as large as Life Church? Well, I would say that kind of like I said, um, I have a very strong, very intimate um, 30-year friendship bank of with multiple friends. And they're kind of almost like different categories of friends. Like one is someone that knew me before Life Church. One is someone who's been a mentor to me, um, kind of in the business uh, leadership end. Um, one of them is just kind of like a spiritual friend and mentor, kind of like a prayer partner and accountability partner. And so those are very, very rich, very long-term, very meaningful. And I would say that, you know, is it hard for someone to make those friends it's as hard as you make it, meaning do you have to take risks? Yes. Do you have to invest time? Yes. Can you get hurt? Yes. You know, uh, do you have to work through things? Yes. But once you once it's been tested and all these friendships have been tested, meaning we, we had events that could have ended the friendship, right? And once they were tested and they stood the test, then they go to a whole nother level going like, these, these, these are friends for life. And if you can get, I would say like in my opinion and not, not as an expert, I would say you need a, you need three to five of those. So I would say I have kind of in that range, I would have like a solid five that would be really close. I thought that's, that's enough. Like I really don't have the capacity for more. Well, then one day I thought that's kind of limiting and it, it came through flying that I made a friend with another guy through a new activity and it's a new dimension. And so I can take on another friend. Uh, and that's, I, I would say don't ever limit the capacity to give some, to somebody and to receive from somebody. And if you don't have those friendships, they're not likely to come by accident. You gotta, you've got to just go out there and you got to make them. I mean, you got to make time. You got to invite people to things. And it's crazy how, how close you can get to someone. It takes frequency of interaction. It, you, you, it does. You, know, um, you, you have to interact and you have to intentionally do it. And so that's just do it. If you don't have that, um, you're robbing people of the blessing that you have to give and you're limiting yourself because you're not receiving from others and you're not getting get to enjoy the best parts of life. So we've mentioned flossing your teeth was uh, a keystone habit for you. When you're advising leaders on this, you know, I'm sure habits can be as varied as the people listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. but there's gotta be, four or five that are just like Archimedes levers. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they just kind of really, if you get this under 
control, like diet might be one of them, or mm-hmm. exercise might be one of them. If there's four or five, like a short list of habits where somebody listening to this is like, yeah, I don't know where to start, Craig. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a, a frequent flyer, highly recommend try starting here or experiment with these habits as a way of getting started to become more disciplined? So that's a fascinating question. And I've, I've nerded out and obsessed with this for years and no one's ever asked a question like that. So let me tell you what comes, what comes to mind. I would say there's a couple that come to mind. One would be that you have to create your own version of the habit of learning. You, you have to, and what, what does that look like? You, you have, it has to be, be learning that, that you, you have to have the habit. I would say another one is you have to have the habit of training your thinking matters so much. You've got to recognize where your thoughts are your enemies and you've got to replace those thoughts with truth. So that, that, that would say, and then I would also have to say, I'd say if you're going to, if you're going to choose three, you have to have the habit of friendships because it, there's no way to ever adequately say like, I anything that's good in my life, I did not achieve by myself. I learned it from someone else and someone helped, someone else helped me get there. And this is, you, you know, you are who you run with, period. And so I would say those things long before what you eat, because, because what you learn, how you think and who you're with will determine what you eat. What you, what you learn, how you think and who you're with will determine how you manage your money. What you learn, how, oh man, I, someone write this down because I like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really writing this down too. I mean, too. seriously, like, you know, it, I mean, it's like, you know, and, and I didn't mean to get this lucky with my answer, but it's a, it's a lucky answer, but it just came to no. mind. Is you gotta, you gotta learn, you gotta be a student. You gotta learn, 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 learn. You're gonna ask more questions. And what you learn determines how you sleep, how you eat, yeah. how, you do, how you read the Bible, how you have a marriage, um, how you think determines what you do. Um, who yeah. you're with impacts every area of your life. So, man, I'm glad you asked that. Because there you go. I'm glad the, I asked it the, too. The answer is probably more powerful, profound than I would have ever expected, but I would recommend the habit of learning, the habit of training your thoughts and the habit of, of choosing your friendships. And that's what I'd recommend. No, that's good. And I mean, you've, if, if you want to know how to train your thoughts, please read Craig's book, Winning the War in Your Mind. I mean, that's the classic, that is the classic in that area. What are your learning disciplines? My learning disciplines. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You're my friend. When we talk, what do we do? We share ideas. We share resources. Have you read this book? Have you looked at this? Have you listened to this? Have you seen this? Every Every single time. What What did you send me this week? Yeah. After condolences about your dad, I said, Hey, I listened to these two shows recently. I think they're right. fantastic. Right. I don't think they'll waste your time. Okay. So I want the people in the room to shout out, who did I send those podcasts to? You gotta be loud. So I hear you. Hey. Okay. That one person was loud. One wasn't, but there's two people in this room that, hey. that I sent the podcast to. Why? Because it was fantastic. And I, I got that from you, okay? I was at dinner last night with someone else who showed me a new kind of a medical technique that was pretty phenomenal. And, you know, he had had shingles like I had, so I learned from him. And we talked about an investment that we're gonna look in together. And that's, you know, it's like, like it's, 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 it's the people that you're with. The resource ties into friends, which, you know, it's that, uh, that was yes, a Jim yes, Rohn yes, yes. club. There's you're no the average way, of the- There's no way I can go find 
the best podcast to listen to on my own. But if I've got if I've got 15 friends like you that are all students of something I'm interested in, every time we're together, what's the best thing you've read? What's the best thing you're listening to? Send me an article and then we're gonna grow. So my my discipline of learning and, and it's maximizing downtime, meaning when I'm driving into work, I'm listening to podcasts. If I'm on the treadmill, I'm listening to something, I'm watching something. So when other people might be watching a Netflix show, I'm listening to a podcast you recommended to me. So I'm maximizing downtime to um, to train, to, to help expose my mind to broader thoughts. No, and you're right about friends too. And there's, you know, that's worth a drill down too. You know, you're three to five, then you're 10 to 15, and then the other 150, that's Dunbar's number. So mm-hmm. wrote about that in my last book. But anyway... You know, you called me out of the blue last fall. We had talked a number of different times and I was working through the big vision shift, right? And reversing the decline in the church, helping leaders uh, scale, identify and scale their next growth barrier, which is what we're about now moving forward, just some clarity. But you said something that I will take to my grave because I talked about serving business leaders. And I mean, I talked to numerous people. You and I chatted about it a little bit, texted back and forth, uh uh-huh, trying to figure this out. And you said your last words before I hung up were, Carrie, I don't think anyone's ever regretted investing their life in the future of the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, boom, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. it. Like if we didn't have that relationship, I wouldn't have gotten that advice. I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing it too. You know, you're obviously your impact goes beyond that, but there's a whole lot of people pretty good at building business leaders. And there's a few people great at building churches and ultimately businesses will come and businesses will go, but the church endures forever, the body of Christ. So you're investing in eternity. So good, good choice. Craig, I got to tell you, this is fantastic. It's, it's never, ever boring. It's always sharpening. And the three habits that make a big difference, dude, you got to do like a little mini book, an addendum to, to that or something. I don't know if that was as powerful as I thought. I got excited about it at the moment, but it maybe yeah. because it just came to me, but it, that's, that's how I do think those things matter, that if you can get the habit of those things, everything else will fall into place. And that was kind of the realization that I had mm. too, is like anything good I have either came out of something I learned or changing how I think or from a relationship. And there's nothing good or effective in my life that didn't come from one or a combination of those things. It's fantastic. So the book is out. Tell us about where, well, obviously you can get it anywhere. You can get books, but anything special you want people to look at or direct yeah, them and to? I, and I just want to clean up one thing I just said, because I, uh, I said businesses come and go. I actually want to, I want to just be super, super, super clear that in business, people can have incredible ministries and I, I don't want to devalue that. And I also think that multiplying resources is very God honoring. So I didn't want that to come across as demeaning, but what I wanted to say is the gift I see in you, I think is incredibly valuable in the church. So I just, I have such a heart. I just wanted to clean that up because I don't want to, I don't want to um, uh, imply something that's not in my heart. On the book. I, I didn't hear it that way, but it's no, a No, you didn't, but I, I just, I just, you know, there's, um, we in the church world need to value what the ministry that people do in the business world is very important. And so I want to so make much to learn from them. You're not, you're not kidding. I mean, I, that's what we've been talking about all day, right? Totally. So I would just say on the, uh, on the book, The Power to Change, I would just invite people to um, see change in a different way that uh, not only are we going to be 
practical and use science, we're going to let, we're going to let scripture work in our lives. And if there is something in your life, that one thing, like I just can't lose the weight or I'm just never good with money or I'm just never going to have an intimate relationship. I would just say, let's stop right there and um, grab that thought and take it captive and say, uh, you, you can do what God calls you to do. You have what you need to do what he calls you to do. So let's believe you can change. You can become more effective. Your church can grow. You can reach more people. You can be a better youth pastor. You can be a more effective friend. Um, just start there with that belief and the hope and then um, watch as little changes over time create a big impact. Uh, and I promise you it's it's um, God honoring and God will give you the power. And, and you, I mean, here it goes. You have the power to change, right? I got to say one more thing about the book too, because you sent me an early copy. Um, it's super easy to read. Good, I reviewed thank you. it again, getting ready for this. The chapters, if you're worried about, I don't have time for a 400 page book. It's not a 400 page book. Mm. Chapters are super short. Mm -hmm. They're very practical. If you get a paper copy, like you just write out, like there's exercises at the end of everything. So if you're looking for something that you could work through fairly quickly, it's a fantastic book. Thank and uh, Craig, I'll make sure you subscribe to Craig's Leadership Podcast. I never miss an episode. And uh, you're over at uh, life.church and craigrochelle.com. Is yes. that it? All, all good. All right. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, Craig, thank you so much for being with us again. So appreciate hey, you. Looking friend. forward to working out with you. It's going to be fun. That's going to be great. Let's awesome. Do it. Okay. Thanks so much, Carrie. Oh, wasn't that a great conversation? And that's one thing I really want to emphasize. Like Craig just wants to come alongside leaders and help them. And I will remember uh, working out for a while and uh, the book is fantastic. So make sure you pick it up. It's called The Power to Change and you can find everything Craig Rochelle over at craigrochelle.com. And if you can't spell that, don't worry. It's kind of like my name. You'll just find it anyway. And of course, we got show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 553, where we link to everything that we talked about. And that's free. We've also got transcripts for free. So would love to tell you about what's coming up next. But first, I want to make sure you're registered for our Ready for Easter free workshop. David Kinneman and I and the Barna Group are partnering together to bring this to you. It's called Ready for Easter. Go to readyforeaster.com. You can register for free. And then if you saw the Super Bowl ads for He Gets Us and you want to continue the conversation, go to hegetsuspartners.com slash Super Bowl to learn more about the He Gets Us initiative and get your free resources. Well, next time we sit down with Richard Blackaby. He has worked with his dad for decades, his dad, Henry Blackaby, to bring the message of experiencing God to the world. We go all over the place in the conversation. Here's an excerpt. You couldn't find the church if you, you know, you had a bunch of bloodhounds. And 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 uh, the, my dad says uh, kind of charitably, the 10 people left were probably the reason everybody else had left. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, so, and so it was just pretty, pretty uh, dismal. And in fact, there was true. a for sale sign in on the property when we got there and they had been trying to sell and couldn't, it was such a terrible building. Nobody wanted it. And, and so that's where my dad brought us, uh, the church had collected $90 in offerings the month before. And, and wow. my dad was so audacious. He actually had the nerve to bring his worship pastor and his family of five with us from California. So we, there was actually 12 of us that showed up in a church that was running 10. Uh, so, you know, when they asked my dad, with, how are things going? He said, we've doubled attendance already. So things are going great. <laughs> also coming up, John Mark Comer, John Lee Dumas, Erwin uh, McManus, Andy Wood, Gretchen Rubin, Caitlin Beatty, and a whole lot more on the podcast. And did you see by any chance before we go, 
the research that says decline in religion is actually bad for people. That is, church attendance has declined. Mental health and even suicides have really gotten worse. Well, there's actually scientific data to back that up. It's pieces like that that I link to every week in my new On The Rise newsletter. So would you like to get, would you be interested in getting a curious mix of some of the most fascinating things I have found on the internet? Could be videos, podcasts I'm listening to, articles I've discovered, or sometimes just fun things that keep your brain sharp. If you'd like to start receiving it, uh, you can go to ontherisenewsletter.com, sign up for free, join over 85,000 leaders who are getting it every single week. And now the content is exclusive. I'm not publishing it anywhere else. So if you listen to this podcast, you're not going to get it. If you are on my website, you're not going to get it. It's only via email. And I would love to have you check it out. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com to learn more. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.